on prayer and a good reminder of its importance in our life. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 22? We're going to be looking again at the life of Abraham, and we are coming today to one of those powerful passages, really one of the high points in terms of Abraham's faith and trust in God. And we're going to look at this in terms of asking a question of ourselves: how strong is our faith? How strong is our trust in God? So I'd uh, ask you to keep your Bibles open to Genesis 22. I'm going to be referring to it as we go through the message, but I'd like to pray as we begin. Father, as we come to your word this morning, I just want to express to you my heart. When I come to a passage such as this, it can be a little intimidating. Your word is so powerful. This word speaks so powerfully. And this passage is such an amazing one in terms of Abraham's faith and what you did. And so, Lord, I just humbly ask that you would use your word this morning to encourage and challenge us, to strengthen our faith, and help us to grow in our relationship with you. We commit it to you, and I ask that you would guide and direct in the words that I share today and use them for your honor and glory. Amen. This morning we are going to be talking about the testing of our faith. And there are a few observations I'd like to share as we begin. There are things that I've noticed about tests through the years. The first one is that most people don't like tests. You know, when you think about it, I mean, if I were to ask the students who are going back to school this fall, you know, how'd they like it if they didn't have a test this coming semester? And most of them would probably say, boy, that would be great. I don't know if they'd learn as much, but they'd say that would be wonderful not to have a whole bunch of tests this fall. And the same thing is true often in life for us. Most of us would rather live life kind of smooth or comfortably or things going pretty pretty easily along rather than to be tested severely. Tests are not convenient. That's a second thing we note. Sometimes they come at the very worst time. When I was in seminary, I was thinking about how there was one semester in the winter where we were coming to finals time, and I got the flu, and Gail did too. And it wasn't just the uh, 24-hour flu or the three-day kind. This was the 10-day kind with the fever and chills and headache and body ache, and you just felt miserable. And at the time, uh, Matthew, our oldest son, was two and a half, and Jason was six months. So it wasn't like we could just spend, you know, all day resting in bed either. You got kids to take care of. And it was miserable. And as I said, it was right before finals, and I had four final exams to take in that stretch. I didn't feel like studying. I didn't feel like taking the test. But somehow God got us through that time by His grace. There are times when tests or trials or difficulties can come, and it doesn't seem very convenient. Family emergencies don't get scheduled. They aren't planned in. That pink slip that sometimes comes, the health concerns, the money matters, those things can come at the most inconvenient of times. How do we handle them? Tests are a normal part of life. And those tests don't end when you graduate from school. And those tests are not always written. There are other kinds of tests. There are tests of patience, tests of courage, tests of endurance, tests of character, and tests of faith. They can come at any time and at any age. 
And the question again is how do we handle them? That's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at the life of Abraham and see again in his walk with God how he handled the challenges that came his way. And from this passage, I believe that there are three things that we can know. Number one, our faith will be tested. There's no doubt about it. Our faith will be tested. Look at verses 1 and 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. God tested Abraham. Several years have passed from the end of chapter 21. Maybe a decade, maybe 12 years have passed. Uh, Isaac is now a teenager, we believe. In fact, the same word that's used to describe Isaac is the word that was used to describe Ishmael in the previous chapter. And so we think that their ages were roughly similar. Abraham has enjoyed the peace of El Olam, that name that he identified God by at the end of chapter 21. This eternal God, this enduring God, the God who gives stability and security and peace in life. And Abraham has been resting in that for a decade or more. I mean, he's been enjoying this time in his life, in his older years, watching Isaac grow up. That tension that was in his home between Hagar and Sarah is gone, and he's been enjoying this relative peace in his home. Joy, a happy, stable time in life. And just when you thought life is good, God comes with a test. And it comes totally out of the blue. There is nothing that could have prepared Abraham for this test. And Abraham hears God speak and he answers, Here I am. Every other time that God has spoken, it has been these words of blessing or promise or encouragement to him along with the commands that he has given. But now God asks this unthinkable thing. He says, take and go and sacrifice your son. What Abraham thought at that point, we don't know. The text does not tell us. Was he as stunned as we are? Probably. To us it is unthinkable that God would ask this. But to Abraham, in the day in which he lived, it was within the realm of possibilities. Other deities asked this of their people to offer up their child as a sacrifice, but God? God, I thought you were different than the other pagan deities. I don't understand. I mean, isn't this the child of promise and now you want me to slay him? But there's more to the story than Abraham knew. We see in this offering up of Isaac a foreshadowing of what God would do with his son, Jesus Christ. The language God used to describe Isaac is the language he would use to describe his son, Jesus When he says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, the son whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. God's son, his only son, 
His beloved Son. And the place where they were going, this region of Moriah, is significant. He said, I want you to go to the mountain that I will show you. Now we know from Scripture that Mount Moriah is where the temple would later be built. And it is also the place where Jesus would be crucified in Jerusalem. But Abraham doesn't know any of that. I mean, all of that is future to him. He doesn't know what God's plan is down through the centuries. He only knows what God is asking of him today. So why is God testing him? The word for testing in Hebrew here is the word nasah. And it means to prove the worth or quality of someone or something by testing. And so here, God is testing Abraham. Why does he test us? Why does he test Abraham? Well, there are at least two reasons that I can give. Number one, God tests us to know what is in our heart. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, the Scripture says to the children of Israel that God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. In other words, God led the Israelites in the wilderness 40 years. They struggled. They had times when they lacked water, times when they lacked food, they lacked meat, and yet God provided for them each step of the way. And all along, God was testing them to know what was in their heart. Why is it that we love God? Do we love God simply because of the blessings He gives? Or do we love God and follow Him because he think, we think that He's going to make our life easier or more comfortable? And that's why we serve Him? Or do we love Him because of who He is? And because of what He has promised and what He has done for us? God tests us to know what is in our heart. And in a similar way, God tests us to prove the genuineness of our faith. Not just to us, but to the world and to the heavenly realms. In 1 Peter, the Scripture says that God tests our faith that it may be proved genuine and result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. There is this refining of our faith, this growth and progress in our faith, and our faith is more precious to God than gold which perishes. And so He refines it through disappointments, through adversity, through trials, through temptations, to know what was in our heart and to prove the genuineness of our faith. Well, secondly, what we see is that some of God's tests are hard. And we see that here in verses 3 to 11. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, 
God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And we'll stop there. This was the most difficult test of Abraham's life. The story is skillfully told with just enough details that we can picture it in our mind. Early the next morning, the scripture says that Abraham got up, he saddled his donkey, and he got ready to do what he must do. There's not a lot of conversation here, is there? There's silence as Abraham gathers what he needs, takes his two servants, Isaac, and the wood for the sacrifice. We are told that it was a three-day walk, a three-day journey. Can you imagine what that was like? What did he say along the way? What was that journey like as he walked with his son Isaac, knowing what he must do? We can only imagine. When they came to Moriah, we get the first hint at what Abraham was thinking. He tells his servants to stay with the donkey, and then he says that we will worship and we will come back to you. We will worship and then we will come back to you. He has come to worship God on the mountain that God is going to show him. And he believes that he and Isaac will come back. Where did that thought come from? What was it that he was thinking? Abraham had not seen a resurrection. I mean, he doesn't have the, the Torah, the five books of the Old Testament. He doesn't have the Bible like we do to understand what God was about to do. And yet somehow God had put this on his heart. In Hebrews 11, verses 17 to 19, we read this. That by faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered up Isaac as a sacrifice. And he who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him that it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Abraham was thinking, I don't know how God's going to do it. But I believe that God can even raise the dead. And if this is the child of promise, this is the one through whom all these blessings of God are going to come, then God has something planned that I do not understand. And then Abraham took the wood and he placed it on Isaac. Isaac is carrying the wood for the sacrifice, just like Jesus carried the cross to Calvary. Yet all of this is happening 2,000 years before Jesus was even born. Abraham carried the fire and the knife. And as they are walking along the way, Isaac asks his father, Where is the lamb? Father, where is the lamb? If I had been Abraham walking with my son, I would have lost it right there. 
But Abraham replied, God Himself will provide the lamb for the offering, my son. Abraham believed somehow God was going to provide a substitute. His words are prophetic. He spoke of things that would come in the future that he did not yet see. But he believed that God could raise the dead. And he believed that God could provide a substitute. He didn't know how, but he trusted God and he went on. And this test would go all the way to the final moment. Abraham would build an altar. He would arrange the wood. He would bind Isaac and he would lay him on that altar as a sacrifice. And then he took his knife and he raised the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. And he stayed his hand. You know, many of the commentators have noted about Isaac that because of his age, he could easily have resisted. But there's no hint of a struggle here. I mean, if Abraham is 115 years old, roughly, at this point, and Isaac is 15 years old, Isaac certainly would have been much faster, could have ran away, could have struggled and got away. But Isaac trusted his father in the same way that Abraham trusted his heavenly father. And God stayed his hand. Just as Abraham was about to slay his son, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. It is hard to sacrifice our Isaacs. It's hard to give to God the things that are dearest to us. There's a story that Karen Maines, a pastor's wife, told about when her daughter was in junior high. Her daughter, Melissa, came down with a fever that was of an unknown origin. She was sick. It was a high fever that would get up to 102 degrees or more at times. And uh, she was brought into the hospital. They did all kinds of tests, and the doctors could not determine what the cause of the infection was. And she said, I had heard from a friend who was a medical, uh, in the medical profession that about 50% of FUOs, fevers of unknown origin, end in death. And that thought lingered in her mind. Their trial, if you will, would last two months. Test after test came back negative. There were many sleepless nights. There were worries and there were fears of what was going to happen. And one night, Karen said, I woke up and I took my Bible and I went down to do battle with the Word. She prayed for her child and she asked God for His mercy in her life. She said, I look back on my journal and my prayer notebook records the end of that long night of struggle. Lord, someone I love is ill And I have a terror, Father, a terror of some debilitating disease. And yet I trust in Your perfect goodness. I know that there is nothing that comes into our life but what You allow. And I have given You my children, and I bring to You again this child, my daughter Melissa. She is Your child simply on loan to us, and I praise You for whatever You are working in her life and ours.
Like Abraham, I had offered up my child. And from that point on, she said, for the next month and a half, as more and more possibilities loomed, I had given to God my fears, and I was unafraid. A peace came as she put this trial and as she put her daughter in God's hands. It is hard to do, but it is at these times that we must trust in the ultimate goodness of God. That's our confidence when those trials come. We trust in God's will for our life. We trust that He knows what He is doing and we rest in Him. So I would ask you and I ask me these questions too. What is your Isaac? Is it your children? Is it your home? Is it your plans for the future? Is it your health? Is it your business? Is it your wealth or resources? What is it that you hold most dear in your life? Have you surrendered that to the Lord and said, God, it is yours. It is all a gift from you. And here I am to love you and follow you and serve you fully. It's hard to surrender to God our Isaacs and to trust Him. I mean, life is full of uncertainties. I, I see that too. And in recent days, again, people have been watching the market go up and down, you know, and they worry about the retirement. They wonder, what am I going to do, Lord? How am I going to get through these days? Will we trust in God and not in the size of our bank accounts? We have health crises that come. We have personal matters or things that are difficulties in our life. Will we put those in God's hands and trust that even though this is not what I had planned or what I would think would have been best, God, you know what you're doing and you are at work to refine my character and help me to grow in my faith with you. Well, thirdly, what the Bible tells us is that God rewards those who trust Him. And we see that in verses 12 to 19. Continuing the story in verse 12, the angel of the Lord said, Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, The Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all the nations on the earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. And then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. God rewards those who trust him. The angel of the Lord said, Do not lay a hand on the boy, for now I know that you fear God. Abraham had passed the test. 
Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. And he sacrificed it in place of his son, and he called that place Jehovah-Jireh. You recognize that name of God? Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. And it would be said of that place forever that on this mountain the Lord will provide. Again, more than they knew at that time. The angel of the Lord called a second time and said, I swear by myself. It is the first time that we hear God taking this oath by Himself, by His own name or character, that I will bless you. And God repeated His promise to Abram, a promise of a people and a land and a blessing, of a people that would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. The people who would come from his line, not just physical descendants such as Israel, but spiritual descendants too. All who would walk with him and believe in God by faith. A promise of a land, the cities of your enemies, the land of promise. The promise of a blessing that through your offspring... Through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Again, that is yet to be unfolded. It is all future to what Abraham knows, but it is a promise of a Savior who will come through the line of Abraham. And 2,000 years later, God would fulfill that promise. God would do what He had asked Abraham to do. The question, where is the lamb, is a question that would echo down through the centuries. Moses would learn about the Passover lamb and teach that to Israel. This lamb that was to be slain for each household so that the destroyer might pass over their home. A lamb, perfect, spotless, without blemish, that was to be sacrificed in their place. The priests and the kings would learn about and ask about this question, where is the Lamb? With all of the offerings that were made through the centuries. But they would understand that it is not by the blood of bulls and goats and lambs that we are saved. And they would ask, where is that One who is to come? Where is that perfect sacrifice for our sins? Where is the One who will satisfy the demands of a holy and righteous God? John the Baptist would answer that question when he pointed to Jesus and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God had sent that perfect Lamb His very own Son, Jesus. And there at Calvary on Mount Moriah, God would provide the Lamb who would die in our place. All of that, again, was future to Abraham and to what he knew. Abraham simply acted on what God had asked him to do today. And Abraham was rewarded for his faith and his obedience. And what we see in Scripture is that the two, faith and obedience, go hand in hand. Obedience is the proof that our faith is real. But it is our faith that pleases God. It is by our faith that we are saved, not by our works. And it is because of our faith that we are rewarded. But a faith that is genuine 
is a faith that shows itself in obedience. In Hebrews 11.6, the Scripture says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. You know, when I think about Abraham's life, the rewards that God gives do not all come in this life, do they? And that shouldn't be our expectation. There are blessings that come in this life that we experience because of our relationship with Christ. There are joys and fellowship and answers to prayer. There are things that are a taste of heaven in our worship. But our ultimate reward is yet to come. And just like Abraham, who did not receive the promised land, we walk by faith and we look forward to what God is going to do in the future as well. But it is those promises that keep us going. So how strong is your faith? Can it stand the test? And will it stand the test of trials or adversity or when temptations come? Will we trust God even when we don't understand what He may be doing in our life? And will we grow in faith and obedience? One of the things I hope that encourages you through this series, I know it's something that stands out to me whenever I study these great men in the Old Testament, is that they were real men just like us. And what we see in Abraham's life is over this period of now some 40 years that have passed, Abraham has grown in faith. God did not ask this of him at the beginning. It has come after a lifetime of walking by faith. And Abraham has had successes and failures, just like we do. He's had times when he has stumbled and he has blown it, and he has had other times of great success when he trusted God and acted on his faith. But if we want to understand why he is called a great man of faith then this is the chapter to look at. When he faced the severest test of his life and he trusted God and he obeyed. He passed the test. And I want to encourage you to make it your aim to walk with God every day. We've had up here on the banners through this series this statement, the just will live by faith. That's for all of us. That's for all of us who have placed our trust in Christ. We are to walk each day by faith in the promises of God, dealing with the trials and challenges that come our way, giving to Him our burdens, and trusting that He is a God who will work all of this together for good. Walk by faith and see what He will do. This morning as we close in prayer, I want you to just bring to the Lord whatever it may be that's on your heart today. If there's a particular burden or a decision or a challenge that you are facing, like Abraham, give that to God and put it into His hands. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank You for the life of Abraham and for the power of Your Word. That it was by Your Word that Abraham had grown in faith. The Word that he knew of a faithful God, a God who could be trusted, a God who was sovereign over all things in His life and in our world. And we come to You today, Lord, and we know that as well. We know even more because of what Your Son Jesus has done for us. And so, Lord, today we come 
and we surrender to you our Isaacs. We lay those things at at your feet that are dearest to us. We give you our burdens. We give you the decisions that we need to make and the challenges. And Lord, we pray that you would draw us close to you and help us to grow in faith and obedience. If there is sin in our life that's hindering our relationship to you, Father, we confess that. We want to put aside those things that so easily entangle us. And we want to put you first in our heart. Father, help us to grow in faith. Thank you for the promise of your presence each day. Thank you for the power of your word and for the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We cannot do this alone. But we rest in your unfailing word. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have given to us through Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.